0: Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan, additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tekovas is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots and I'm them with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me, and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, to Kovus. And they have a seasonal, limited-edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-B-A-S.com. com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and they ship right to your door. Go to DeCovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I hope you're having a great week and to cap it off, I got a great show for you. I'll talk about Joe Rogan's controversial interview with Conor McGregor after UFC 264. Steve Miocic threw out an angry tweet, and since you guys enjoyed my takes on burgers so much a few weeks ago, I thought I'd tell you all about chicken sandwiches. That's all coming up later, but first, I want to weigh in on Simone Biles and a big discussion that's happening around the sports world the Simone Biles situation it has been interesting for me and my stance on this and my encouragement to you is stay out of it just just walk away you're you're never going to succeed arguing if somebody brings the word safety up and she brought up the word health it's the their synonyms walk away and there's no advantage by the way to kicking somebody when they're down If her career is going to be over, then what difference does it make anyway? If you feel that you just need to dig in to set the point that she took a spot from somebody else and didn't maximize and value the opportunity, that's on her. That is the punishment. What's interesting for me to observe from the outside is how the fake pretenders, the fake defenders, have changed the story. That's always interesting for me, to watch history be rewritten in front of our eyes, right? And we've seen it recently in the fight game. Connor coming out and saying that he was doing just fine with Dustin, and it was a a doctor stoppage. To to heck with the fact the fight was almost stopped, he's broken in half, and two of the three judges had a 10-8 round. I only bring that because it's a recent example, but largely that has been rewritten largely very quickly. The press conference that night, which took place 42 minutes after the fight, there was mention of, yeah, I guess we're going to run these guys back and do part four. (laughs) I mean, it was just silly. There was nothing competitive that warrants seeing that again. Nothing at all. That was an ass-whipping. But it got rewritten. And I'm seeing the fake pretenders of, of Simone. And I must say that because many athletes have come out as a way of attaching their names, not only to the Olympics... Not only to the great Simone Biles, but also looking for a PR boost for themselves. There are this many athletes, none, that think that it's okay to leave a competition partway through. None. There is nobody who believes that you should let your team down mid-battle because you didn't feel like it. And when I talk about the story being rewritten, people are now trying to talk about, well, you know, she's flipping through the air and she could have come down and she could have been hurt. Like nobody disagrees what gymnastics or what the rules are, what the problem with those people who are pretending to be nice and pretending to be Simone's friends that understand this time of need are refusing to realize that Simone already told the world why she quit from the pressure. She tweeted it out. It was in writing and she's never ran it back. Other people are attempting to say she was dizzy, she was confused, and she could have been hurt. There's no doctor from the neurosciences that have come forward and is looking at her, but even Simone herself doesn't say, I'm dizzy, I'm concussed, I'm lost, I'm confused. She said, I felt a lot of pressure and I need out. That's what happened. I don't think that anybody should judge that story, but if you choose to insert yourself to be part of this story, Then pick your sides based on what happened, which is, according to her, she felt pressure and she stopped. Simona's been in practice every day just by example. She still has the opportunity to enter... I call it the apparatus championship where they go to the where go to the beam, they go to the bars, they go to the vault, they go to the floor. She's qualified for all four routines. She is favored to win gold in all four. What is the relevance? She is yet to pull out. As a matter of fact, she's gone to practice every single day. I only offer that because the people that are trying to retell the story to look like really nice guys that would really like to be along the ride with Simone for whatever she goes into after this have changed it to something that she's not claiming. Which means you're, you're essentially trying to put something on USAG, USA Gymnastics, that isn't true. Hey, where were the doctors? Why is she not hospital-wise? How come nobody's looking at her? She's in practice every day. She stopped competing because she felt pressure. She's considering doing it again if she can overcome the hurdle of the pressure. Very real thing. We saw Oliver McCall go through it in fighting. You guys remember that? Oliver McCall was in the ring fighting and had a nervous breakdown. He began crying. He couldn't throw punches. He couldn't hold his hands up. He was turning away from his opponent. He was in tears. They stopped the contest. I will tell you, being backstage, if you've never thought about calling a friend and asking him to call in a bomb threat, if you've never been backstage and thought about pulling a fire alarm, you have never been backstage getting ready to go into a cage fight. I was at a Rumble on the Rock BJ Penn used to put this on. And a gentleman tried to tried to miss weight to get out of the fight, did miss the weight. They said, hey, you know what? Your your opponent agrees we're going to do the fight. He did everything he could do to get out of the fight. He did not know what to do. He could not disqualify He didn't have gloves on. He couldn't find his mouthpiece. I mean, he did absolutely everything to get somebody to stop the fight. Nobody did. He ran. He ran for a door. There was now you can walk away anytime you want. He just didn't feel that inside. He ran. And people just stood back and kind of watched him run. And when you run out of room to run, there was a fence. He had to go to the other side of the fence to then have clear it, right? I mean, the fence separated the property. So he runs into a fence. He jumps on the fence, climbs it, falls down the other side. I, I couldn't produce his name for you. never seen him before or since. But I don't pass a judgment. That's just some of those pressures that people feel. Most athletes will overcome that. That's one of the things where they have a real sense of pride. And they will talk about it later. That's where Nike got such a great bump on the simple slogan that they did, just do it. It's not going to matter where you feel like it. It's not going to matter if you think you're prepared, if you think you can win, if you realize the weight of the world in your head. Just do it. But if you can't just do it, okay. There's another option. I don't judge the guy that jumped the fence. I don't have a hard time with Oliver McCall. These are real actions. I don't have a problem with the fact that Simone did it. I do have a problem with you fake pretenders, there's not a athlete amongst us who thinks that that is okay. Not one. If you don't think something is okay, it also doesn't mean that you think it's on the side of of wrong. It is what it is, walk away. But to watch this story be made up that she's confused and she's in the air and she doesn't know where she was, all of that sounds very serious to me, which again would fall back on USAG and the fact that you see Simone taking every media opportunity, showing up to every event and then going through the practice routines because you still might compete next week. They don't go together. It's not true. It's not true. And the fake defenders that are trying to control the story and change the story, it proves my point. And my only point is there's not an athlete out there that thinks this is okay which is why they never attacked this on the merits of she felt pressure, couldn't deal with it, and quit. Those are the merits. Anyone that has added anything else in that Simone never said, it's because you don't like the argument that you're left with. You don't like that something got tough and she didn't want to compete. I can't understand it. It would seem as though a great athlete, and I have her at number one, I think she's the greatest athlete alive. I think she's the greatest athlete to ever be alive. It's my opinion. I don't know if I can continue to make that statement because a part of athletics is going out there and competing anyway. We've seen this in our sport, right? We see some people that were very good with aggression, but they weren't fighters. Once that once those punches and kicks started coming back, they were gone. You never saw them again. They weren't fighters. They understood one-way aggression. It's a very different thing. In sport, if you're not ready, for whatever reason, if you said you were gonna compete at a specific time in a specific place against specific people under a specific rule set, it's very clear. You show up and do it. And if you're not ready, you're not gonna get the result that you wanted. That's called sportsmanship. You tip your hat to the other side and you congratulate them. It doesn't matter if you weren't ready. You had a chance to be ready. That's sportsmanship. If you can't get to the ball quick enough or you can't get the ball inside the basket or inside of the zen or across the net, then the other team wins. That's sportsmanship. If things aren't going your way and you don't think you're gonna go run over the competition, you're not a fighter. You now understand aggression. They're two very different things. But there's no judgment to be passed on anybody. Not very many people would ever try to do what she did. I'm talking about Simone. Six days a week, six hours a day, countless championships, opportunities. Her brother, by the way, was on a trial for killing somebody. He was acquitted, in all fairness, just a couple of weeks ago. I'm only sharing with you. There's mental toughness that Simone Biles has overcome. Mental toughness and dealing with pressure are two different things. To be doing a sport that you do every day, oh, by the way, in a situation where absolutely nobody's there, which is shockingly less pressure than what you've already come through, it's hard to understand. But at the same time, that's her decision. It's completely her decision. To come out and act like you think that was brave and she's even more your favorite. Look, good job. You're trying to clout chase. You're trying to look like a nice person. You don't know how to navigate these things. You should have just zipped it in the first place. If you can't tell the truth, say nothing at all. But if you're gonna to try to break down the scenario and you think that that was okay, I'm not telling you you're wrong. But if you try to break down what happened and you quickly change the facts to anything other than what she said, there's too much pressure, I'm out. If you try to change it, it's because you don't like the argument in the first place because you know you'd lose. Earlier this month, there was something else in the sports world that had a lot of people talking. A lot of guys didn't like that Joe Rogan interviewed Conor McGregor on the ground after losing to Dustin Poirier, and I just want to tell you how I feel about it. Joe Rogan came out. He was talking about, he was essentially, whether he was defending himself or explaining himself, but one of the two as it pertained to him interviewing Conor McGregor after Conor's loss to Dustin Poirier. Now, I don't know that I buy the fact That Joe talked to a guy that was finished And that's the problem I don't know that I buy the fact that Joe talked to a guy That was injured and that's the problem I feel like the words that came out of Connor's mouth Hurt people's feelings Upset them, offended them Rightfully so, by the way If you fall into any one of those categories But then that got put on Joe I don't know that I actually believe that anyone had a problem with Joe speaking to Connors. As a matter of fact, the night that Anderson Silva was hurt, because we've only seen this three times, the night that Anderson Silva was hurt by Chris Weidman, if we could have heard from Anderson and he could have just, hey, thank you all so much, I'm going to get to the hospital, I appreciate your support, and left, I think we'd have liked to have heard it. The night that it happened to Chris Weidman, had they interviewed him, and Chris said, boy, I, I felt it on the check kick. I'm in a little bit of shock right now. Please keep me in your prayers. And left. We'd have never heard about it. I believe the only reason that Joe is even being questioned as to whether he should have done that or not, right, because it wasn't getting down. It wasn't the hurt athlete part. When Joe got down, and he had to get down to interview Sean O'Malley, and I realized Sean did not have a compound fracture, but Sean got stretchered out of there, went straight to the emergency room, Went straight to being looked at by the doctors. Sean said beautiful things. It was a beautiful interview. And I remember how happy Sean was that Joe was talking to him. And I remember Sean even finished it and goes, I love you, Joe Rogan. And Joe goes, I love you, Sean. It was this great moment. And nobody said anything to Joe, including a compliment. Hey, Joe, thank you for getting that moment. Thank you for not excluding Sean O'Malley just because he was down and you didn't want to bend down in your suit. Thank you very much for making the cameraman get down and figure that out. And don't bring to me the difference was the win or the loss. The don't interview the loser policy, which is not as hard and fast as it was for a very small period of time, is exclusive if that loss is by knockout. Don't forget that. One of the things that Joe said when he was explaining what happened there is that Connor called him over. He said, Joe, come over here. Let's do a podcast. It sucks to be the fighter that doesn't get interviewed. I remember the first thing I ever said to Joe Rogan. The first time I ever talked to Joe Rogan, I had just won a co-main event which made me the number one contender. And I had had a number of fights in the organization prior to that. I was the winner, and Joe never interviewed me, including main card matches, including at one point I took out the number two ranked guy in the world. No interviews. So that's the as the winner to not get to say your piece. The loser would much rather get to say his. The loser, ha- nobody in the UFC is like this in this why Why well, don't get interviewed if I get knocked out or I don't get TKO'd. I still got marketing to do. I still got a, a Band-Aid I got to put on this thing. Give me that damn microphone. Just one of those things. So now Connor's calling him over. You're going to say no to a guy? Why? Because he's hurt. So now you're adding insult to injury. Not only are you hurt, not only do you lose, you're not going to get to say your piece. Could you imagine? Of course Joe did the right thing. Of course he should have interviewed Connor. I'm only submitting for you guys that I don't believe that any of you think that he shouldn't. Including Team Connor, says he never should have been interviewed. He should have been attended to. I don't believe that you think that. I believe you would love to take that interview back because Connor said that about Dustin's wife because he was aggressive, because he was in a place of denial, and you all thought that Connor should just absorb it and take it in. He refused to. He had a shield up to all your insults and had a bouncing off. I think you didn't get what you want. I don't think the haters got to see Conor showing everybody his pain, he did just the opposite. I don't think any of you have a problem with the fact that Joe interviewed him. The guy that beat McGregor, Dustin Poirier, is in line for a title shot in the lightweight division. But if we move down to 135 pounds, there's some uncertainty about the title picture out there and I want to set the record straight. I heard a podcast, two mid-carters were talking, I produced their names for you, two jobbers are talking, okay? And the topic is, does TJ deserve a title shot? What? What are you talking? Does TJ deserve to fight for the belt that he had and never got beaten for? Is that the question? Does TJ, who just won a main event over the guy... Who would have had a title shot if he hadn't taken a microphone and handed it to somebody else? What what is the actual question here? I'm a little bit confused. Because it can't be on the merits. For you to ask the question, it can't be on the merits. Does a guy who had the belt and never lost it, deserved to fight for it. And you'll always lose me at the word deserve. Deserve and fair and... Some of, this, some of this weak style talk, you'll always lose me. I'm just assuming that it means from a competitive architecture standpoint, juxtaposed with the fact that he was in the principal's office. I can't imagine there's any other question. I mean, I really can't. I can't imagine that there's another question of what it would take to two... What, he needs to prove himself some more? He just beat the top guy. Should he beat a lower guy? Should he beat a guy that was just signed? Should he beat a 20-year-old? Should he beat a kid in high school? I mean, where do you want to go with it? And it was two jobbers who actually have, have meaningful parts within the media that were having the conversation. The media, who allegedly is the whole reason we have a, a ranking system that is not corrupt, it's just inadequate, in the first place, and now they don't want to look to it? What, what are you talking about? Does TJ deserve? He just got a main event. Did that bother you? Would you like him to go fight Rob Font? Is that what you would do? Because you're now punishing Rob Font. If you don't think it's TJ, then you think it's Rob. And if you think they should fight each other, then you're eliminating one of them. So you're a dick in the first place, right? You have to understand that. Now, TJ, it just came out, hurt his knee, gonna be out six months. I think I'm the one that brought this to you all, that TJ's knee was bothering him. It looks as though they looked at it, looks like it's, it's with the MCL, it's gonna take him about six months. Okay, that's not great news. Look, if TJ was to win the world championship right now, that will make him the oldest champion south of 170 pounds in history. Adding six months to it is meaningful. And any time a report comes out and says he's out for six months, make sure you understand what that means. That means he's out of practice for six months. He's going to need six months to go by to be assessed. If everything is great, great, let's sign a contract. And of course, give me three to four months to get back in shape. I only bring it to you because it's a hard enough spot that TJ is in. You, you, you all want a pound of flesh. How, how many pounds do you want out of the guy? What do you mean does he deserve to fight for a championship? It looks as though he's injured, isn't going to be able to fight for a championship in the first place. Might be a good time to call Rob Font. But before we get to that, let's see what happens between Aljo and Jan. Sterling's doing a favor for, Alja, for Jan out of pure sportsmanship. If it goes the other way, you don't think Sterling should be considered? For that opportunity, you don't think he should? Okay, you probably don't, because I already put you in the correct category, which is that of a dick. So then, what's it have to do with Rob? How does it pertain to TJ? How many guys should we just eliminate before you are satisfied that somebody deserves? What are we talking about? Deserves? Does he deserve it? Can he get it? That's the way you should work. Can he get a tackle shot? If he can get it, he deserves it. The men's bantamweight division is quickly becoming the deepest and most interesting group the UFC has to offer. So I want to take a moment to talk about the division and some news on the women's side at 135. So first off, as it pertains to Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena, first comment right out of the gate, thinking of you, Amanda. Hope that you get better. Hope all is well. Amanda hit with COVID. She's going to take some time out. Get her healthy. It turned out her whole house was, right? Her wife, their daughter. So keep all of them. Keep all of them. I would imagine if you had COVID, it'd be very helpful to have somebody looking after you. They're all doing it together, right? And nobody can really come in the house. It's one of those spots where, let's keep a man in our thoughts. They're going to move that fight completely to another card. Hunter Campbell came out. That was all that was said. That fight will be rebooked at a later date. I predict for you, even though it hasn't come out, i got to assume they're just going to move Pedro Munez and Jose Aldo up. Great news for Jose Aldo. I mean, not for nothing, but your career starts at the bottom. You work your way to the top of the card. That might even mean a world title. For him, it did. Then you work your way back down. You find yourself no longer in title fights, main events, co-main offense. As soon as you come off of the main card, you are now one loss away from being out of the organization. That's just the life. That's all right. But that's the life. So Jose Aldo, who's one of the greats to have ever done it, to return to a co-main event. Okay, what a difference a day makes, right? 80% of success is just showing up. I want to talk to you guys about Pedro uh, Munoz because I don't know if you guys know who this is. This guy is rough. This guy got on my radar in his last fight. He had Jimmy Rivera. But I've seen his last three fights. He's, he's a problem. And if you're not familiar with him, he is not built like Jose Aldo. For example, Pedro is is longer. He's a leaner guy. He's a taller guy. But he fights very similar in that, he, just like Jose Aldo, black belt in jiu-jitsu, both of them, that would rather stand up and kickbox with you. I find, look, for my money, you want to stand up with Jose Aldo? If you can do that and win that game... You're good in my book. I got no problem with you. I always thought Max Holloway was a tough guy. When Max stood up with Jose, although I knew Max was a super tough guy. When he beat Jose Aldo in the stand-up, oh my goodness. Um, I might looked at Max completely differently. Then Max went out there and did it again and stopped him. If you could play that stand-up game with, with Junior, Jose Aldo's fast. That's the other thing. And he's getting older, I can't imagine he's going to be as quick, but one thing that happened when he dropped from 145 to 135, just logically speaking, right, the smaller you get, the faster you get. He got faster. This was at like 37 years old. People don't get faster at 37. Well, unless you take off 10 pounds, then I support. well, oh, okay, Jose did. And I always talk about that weight stuff, guys, but that's interesting to me. I'm into the John Jones experiment. I want to see how it goes. I imagine if Francis gets beat and is no longer champion, boom, we're going to get John back. That's my guess. I'm just as into it for Stipe. Stipe saying he's going to put on 20 pounds. I want to know how, right? We saw what John was doing. He's going to put on 20 pounds. Figure it out later. Figure out how to look good later. That one I understand. I know enough about physiology. and I know enough about weight gaining that there's this... Build where you just put on size that of all kind, I'm talking about you know, fat and ways that you don't want, you put it all on, but then you take some off. I understand to to gain muscle, you got to also gain fat. That's what I understand. That's what John did. I get that. Stipe plans to just put on 20 pounds of muscle, and that son of a bitch is so disciplined and is so cloaked in success and everything else in his life, he's probably going to figure out how to do that too. That's interesting to me. At 39 years old, to be able to put on 20 pounds of muscle, I don't know that it's been done before. Not in six months, right? Not in a six-month period. To put on 20 pounds of muscle, clean, under the rules of USADA, which is how is going to do it, that'll be fascinating. And you'll meet people all the time, right? I'll get a video made somewhere out there. Derek will make a video and say, well, you know, you can put on 20 pounds of muscle. No, you can't, Derek. Not only you can't, neither can anybody else. And you've ne- you don't know anyone that has. You do not know anybody who's put on 20 pounds of muscle in six months. Clean. You don't know anybody at 39 years old who put on 20 pounds of muscle. Clean. Anyway. Anyway you want to do it. So I only bring that to you because I think those experiments are interesting. I want to see how those things play out. I think that Pedro Munoz in many ways represents the new Jose Aldo. Blasphemy, Right? Blasphemy to say that about the great Jose. I think in many ways Pedro represents the new Jose Aldo. And Pedro, I don't know that he's going to have speed. I know that he's going to have length. This might surprise you. You try to read a book by its cover, you're going to think those more powerful. I think Pedro can match him there too. It's an interesting fight. I'm not even necessarily sure that I'm putting the curse on on Jose by picking Pedro. I don't know that I am picking Pedro. I'm just sharing with you guys. It's a very interesting match. I think it should be a featured match from Jump Street. Opportunity has now created itself for that to slide into co-main status to get a little bit more attention on these guys for a week. I think those are two guys to give some real attention to. Another division that could use some clarity: the heavyweights. I'll talk about them in a moment, but before, I want to dive deeper into Usman Covington 2 and what we can expect come November. So, odds came out on Usman versus Covington, and Usman is a favorite, almost two and a half to one. That's a little bit, little bit of an exaggeration, but it's almost a two and a half to one. Does that surprise you? And if it does surprise you guys, look, we got to have the same conversation with this rematch that we have in every other rematch, which is what's going to be different and why. And you've only got a couple of things you can turn to. Well, this fighter has done these matches since, and here's techniques and positions he found himself in that were not done the first time, and I think that that will help to level the playing field. right? That's what you have to do. Otherwise, you're just saying things. And saying things isn't wrong, but it doesn't give us a lot to talk about. We don't get to argue now. We don't get to have a debate. You have to be able to turn to something that happened, historically speaking. Covington has only fought one time, and that was Tyron Woodley. And he looked amazing doing it. He looked in large part a lot like what, we thought he was going to try to do to Usman, which was some ground and pound. Covington was able to get to T-Wood, and he tried to get to T-Wood. He was able to keep him down, but he tried to keep him down. I bring those words, you tried, because Colby never once tried to take Usman down. Now, that was a huge surprise, and that shoe was on both feet, because Usman, who's a great wrestler, never tried to take Covington down. Many of us thought going into this fight, well, one of these guys is going to be a better wrestler, right? Don't you remember the dialogue? Usman's a Division two champion and Covington's a Division I All-American. What's better, the Division II champion or the Division I All-American, right? You were getting these wrestling debates. But that was the narrative coming in. Now, if one of these guys had failed to get the other guy down, one of these guys defended his opponent from getting him down, that's not what happened. Neither guy tried for a takedown. That was a bit of a surprise. But we also found out how damn good they are on their feet. We've seen Colby before look great on his feet. You'll remember the match with Robbie Lawler, by example. But Colby had Robbie guessing nonstop. Colby was punching and kicking and elbowing and then changing elevation. It's the same thing he did with T. Wood for a more recent example. He didn't even try to take Usman down. So there was something that Colby saw. And there was something that Colby felt that told him that would be a waste of energy. The same thing is said for Usman. Usman saw something, felt something, had a respect for Covington. Some reason he never went for it. I bring it to you because if this fight's going to be a stand-up fight, which one of them has shown more gains and growth in their stand-up? Now that doesn't constitute who the winner is going to be, but now we have a jumping off point to at least start talking. You would have to give that answer to Usman. Usman's the only one that fought on his feet. He stopped Gilbert. He turned Mazvadal sideways. I don't think I've ever seen a fighter get turned sideways because a punch was so hard. Right? You see this, like the timber? Turned him sideways. So, got big respect for Usman's hands, don't we? But the problem with hedging that bet is we have not seen Colby get beat on his feet, right? We've seen great offense by Usman. But we haven't seen a lack of defense by Covenant. No one's hitting Colby. These fights that Colby's having, even when he's mixing up before he gets in and drags you down, he's not getting hit in the process. It's one of those things where you go, okay. I think, I think, my opinion, after analyzing this, you got to throw it out. We haven't seen anything from either one of these guys since that will lead us to a conclusion that you're going to have a significantly different match. All right, what's the next criteria? Next criteria is what's different. What is different, if anything? And there's something for each of them. Colby has left the American top team. That stayed fairly quiet. I think about the eight months that it's been, I think you guys have all heard this, because Colby did stay in Florida. And there was talks that he was going to leave the top team, team. but we never got a final conclusive answer. Like Dan Lambert, by example, never came out and said, Colby is gone. But Colby is gone, and Colby is doing his own thing. He's got his own place that he shows up with a couple of workout partners and a coach. So he has very individualized and specialized attention being put on him. I haven't seen enough of Colby to tell you definitively, but I have spoke to Colby and Colby loves it. He says he has never felt better and he stated for the reasons that I just said. First off, I got a lot of the same partners I've already trusted, the same coaches that I've always been with and trusted, but I have more attention on me. I have full focus and that's a real thing. I'll tell you, that's a real thing. There's some damn good coaches out there and if you're in a room and you love your coach, but you got 25 other guys in the room, you go the course of a two-hour practice, how much Just if you do the math, just as a divisible, how much time in a two hour practice if it gets spread over 25 guys is the coach looking at and assessing you? So in Colby's situation, it's now every minute. It's every second, it's every practice. And he feels as though it's helped him. Usman also left his gym. Now Usman left Florida went out to Colorado, but he's looked fantastic since. What is it that he's uh, worked on? What is it that he's learned? I don't know that we can put our finger on that. I'm not convinced that the days of Kamara Usman taking you down and beating the hell out of you are gone. I don't think that Kamara Usman had any other strategy in the George Masvidal fight than mix it up just a little bit so I can get on those takedowns and try to beat the hell out of him. He was just so good on his feet. It never got to that point. I don't think that Usman's just thrown out the strategy and fallen in love with his right hand. I really don't think that. I think Usman went fully into that fight, knowing what he does well, going to press George into the fence, pick him up, put him down, and go to work. It just didn't get to that point. So now the question is, why. Did he get a good punch, landed him with that one good punch, or is that specifically what Usman's working on? Usman has never had air balls. He's never had an issue where he's throwing things and they're missing. He's just, he just can't find his range. He's never had that, but he's at next to zero since he's been in Colorado. That is a very fair observation by me. I have not seen Usman reach out and try to touch someone and miss. Everything he does touches something. So it's one of these things where it is clear just within his accuracy, just within his timing, and I would, I'm perceiving power. I'm perceiving power because he's put two guys down. The truth is, Usman's always hit like a freaking truck. But there's a perception of power now because he did finish with stand-up attacks his last two opponents, who happen to be, right? One was the number one contender, the other is the, the reigning BMF champion. These are hard guys, and he's stopping them. So there's at least a perception of power. Will that power, if I'm right... If Usman's stand up's a little bit crisper, will that encourage Colby to then go for the takedown that eluded him for the first four completed rounds and the half of the fifth round that was completed in the first fight? I don't, right? But this is what you're looking at here. We cannot come to the conclusion that Colby can't take down and beat up Usman. We can't conclude that Usman can't take down and keep Colby there because neither of them tried. That's the elephant, that's the missing link here. Neither of them tried to wrestle. They got into a fisticuffs. Every time Kobe would get hit, he'd get pissed off and want to hit him back and would. Now Usman's pissed off, he's got to hit him back. They just did that all damn night long. It's an interesting fight. And what can we make of it? What have we learned? What do we know about these guys that's different? I think you're going to have a hard time answering that question. I'd be surprised if you come to a, a, an answer and a response that is any more in detail than the one that I just gave. And when you look about, okay, well, what's different? Their teams are different. Sometimes that can be a positive. Sometimes that's a bad. Generally, guys never stay the same. When they, chain, when they trade camps, you usually have a definitive, okay, he got better. Oh, my goodness, he shouldn't have left. It's very rare that guys stay the same. Both of these guys believe that they got better. You're back to a wash. You're back to a wash in the closest, dirtiest, hardest fight I've ever seen. You're back to a wash. But the lines say Uzman is a two and a half to one favorite. I'm asking, do you agree? So Stipe's mad. And you know what? I like Stipe for a lot of reasons. I'm a Stipe fan, but this is the number one reason I like him. you got to understand where this is coming from. You guys know what I'm talking about? Stipe put a tweet out. One FC is ran by a guy named Chachary. I believe he even owns it. Chachary said, who should I sign? Stipe wrote back like a thinking emoji and then made a comment about you know how Daniel Cormier gets an immediate rematch, but Stipe has to wait for the winner. Now we don't have any more information. I do have a question though. Is that what happened? Was Stepe told you have to wait for the winner of Lewis versus Gone? Because first off, if he was, Stepe should not be pissed off. He should be very happy. I mean, if he was told you're gonna fight the winner of Derek and Gone, what does that mean for Francis? I thought Francis was fighting the winner, or is Stepe fighting the winner of that? And if that's the case, Stipe's still a number one contender. So I'm just sharing with you, he should, he should not be pissed off. If he was told, you're fighting the winner, I would like to have that information. I would love to bring you guys that information. How nice would it be for us as fans to have some clarity within a division that's been a mess? If we had that level of clarity, that Francis will take on the interim champion, Stipe will take on the winner of that, we would know the next year It'd be the only weight class in the sport that we know what's going to happen and all the politics are out the window. I don't know that Stepe was told that. I mean, it just seems like that would be a very big thing to be told to keep from the rest of us. So I'm asking a question. I'm not answering it. Was Stipe told that? Is Stepe going to take on the winner of Derek and Gone? Is the winner of Derek and Gone going to take on Francis first? I mean, if they're planning to move on with it without Francis, that there's a big story here if, if I am to interpret Stipe's one sentence accurately. You guys staying with me here? Stipe says I should not have to wait to take on the winner. That would imply that Stipe's going to take on the winner. But the winner of what? I know I'm repeating myself here, but I feel like I lost you because I I threw a bunch of names out. We have an interim championship coming up, which would lead us to believe they're going to take on the undisputed champion, being Francis Ngannou. And is Stipe next for that? Because that would also then tie in John. John. I mean, we'd have a lot of clarity if this was the case. I would also encourage Stipe, if he was told that, not to be upset. That's a damn good spot to be in. Right, champ? When I come back to this, this is what I love about him. He's a competitor, man. Some of these guys don't give a damn about all your marketing and all your money fights and building and let's get a big arena. They don't give a damn. They want to fight. It's about pride. That belt and that championship and that recognition still means something to some of them. And is one of those guys. That's cool. That's a cool thing. Stipe, last time he gave us news, said his short-term goal, strategy-wise for his career, is you're going to put on 20 pounds. Now, I love the idea. I love the... Stipe versus Francis Part 3 have to do it, in my opinion. I mean, you just have to do that. You could not take that from anybody. Stipe, moreover, but even the rest of us, we're all owed a true trilogy. Stipe to put on 20 pounds of muscle and come in against Francis, you have a completely different match. He's going to change his physiology. Is that for the better or is that for the worse? That's between those guys. But that would be for me, that would be very interesting. Stipe did look in that second fight like he was light a few LBs. So if he's going to put on 20 pounds and come back in against Francis, whose greatest asset was his size, I'm just saying that would be very interesting. But what are we to make from that? Are we to take from that statement that Stipe has been told he's going to take on the winner? And by the way, the winner of what? Because if he's taking on the winner of Derek and gone, there's bad news for an undisputed champion. If that's not the case and there is not a stripping of the undisputed champion and Stipe's got to wait for that, I can see where he's frustrated, but what do you want to do? I mean, the fights only happen ever so often. If I loved you guys and I agreed with you guys and I want to give everything to you guys. I can't force somebody to walk outside right now. you're going to have to wait. Welcome to life, right I mean, you gotta be patient. There's just nothing you could do. There wouldn't be like a villain in this story, but I do think and for me as a fan, Steve gets credit man, I love guys with that attitude. I love that he's not talking about build a fight and let's renegotiate and let's talk about talking and I got a contract, but to hell with that, this one's worth more. He wants to fight because he thinks that's his belt, he thinks that he's earned it and that competition still means something, man. Those are the hardcore guys. So before you think that Stipe's the skunk at the garden party, this thing is wide open for interpretation. Stipe did not give us very much information. He used an emoji and then talked about he should not have to wait for a winner. Does that mean that he was told that he's going to fight the winner? So that concludes the MMA portion of today's show. And before I head out for the weekend, I thought I would tell you another handheld food that people have a lot of opinions about, the chicken sandwich. I'm with my mom yesterday and I'm getting ready to leave. I'm at my truck, driver's seat. She comes to the passenger door. We're having a conversation and I could tell she wasn't ready for me to go, whether she was bored or she, she needed something. So I finally guessed it. I said, Mom, are you hungry? She, Yeah, I'm hungry. All right, jump in. So when my mother is hungry, she will never tell me what she wants or where she wants to go. She sees that as like a burden. So anytime we're going to get something, oh, whatever you want, whatever you want. She does that to be nice, but in this particular situation, I don't want anything. I kind of need you to tell me what you would like to eat, but I know that's not going to happen, right? I've done this dance for decades. I just start driving. So... In case you guys are unaware, there is a war going on with the chicken sandwiches. They're calling it chicken sandwich war from a marketing standpoint, but everybody's playing. Everybody's getting involved with this. There was shootings, and this is not an exaggeration by me, at Popeyes during quarantine. So at some point last year, because they had ran out of chicken sandwiches. This is serious business. So. I'm involved in the war. I want a taste test, and I want to know who is the best chicken sandwich, and quite frankly I've been everywhere except KFC. I'm not a huge lover of KFC, however, if I'm going to have this taste test off, I've, I've got to include KFC. So in all fairness, I have not yet included KFC. Here's the problem. If you go to Popeyes, Popeyes will make you a good piece of chicken. If you like Popeyes chicken, you're likely to like the chicken sandwiches. They just put the sandwich. They just put the chicken in a different form in between bread. I don't think that's enough. And while I like the Popeyes chicken sandwich, it bothers me very much that not only does it not come with cheese, and quite frankly, I don't know a single chicken sandwich anywhere that comes with cheese. They should come with cheese. You have to ask for cheese, but Popeyes doesn't even have cheese in the back. You can ask for cheese until you're blue in the face. They don't put cheese on anything. So if you're going to Popeyes, you need to get the said uh, sandwich, get home and get some cheese out of the fridge. But by then, the sandwich has cooled a little bit, which does greatly reduce the taste. So it's one of these things. It's just a mess. Same thing with Popeye. You can't get tomatoes if you wanted to. Hey, throw some iceberg and some tomatoes on it. They don't even have it. Now, with all of that said, Popeye's makes a fantastic chicken sandwich, but my mother wasn't in on this yet. Okay, back up to I'm in charge. She's gonna jump in the truck. We're gonna get something to eat. Pull right into Wendy's. And Wendy's not-for-nothing spicy chicken sandwich, first off, mismarketing. if any of you would be turned off by a Wendy's chicken sandwich because you hear the word spicy, forget it's called spicy. It's got a nice taste. There's absolutely nothing spicy and or hot about it. I only share that with you because I don't want that to turn you off when you hear the word spicy. And when I had my first spicy chicken sandwich, and this wasn't necessarily an addition to the chicken wars that was going on. The spicy chicken sandwich has been around for 15 years. But when I had my first one, it was because word of mouth, people telling me, you got to go to Wendy's, you got to try the spicy chicken sandwich. It's very good. Add cheese to it like a sane human being would do, off you go. The problem with the Wendy's chicken sandwich is what in all fairness, they're very good. They're dry. It's like anything you have sandwich form. If it's dry, you have a problem. You just are, you're going to have a problem. A sandwich should look a certain way. If you grab a sandwich like this, it's all made, somebody made it for you, you take your, just as a test, and you push down. If there's not liquid coming out it, and that could be from the meat, that could be juices, that could be your mayonnaise, your mustard, your ketchup, your specials, something needs to come out onto the paper. You could drive the Wendy's sandwich over with your pickup truck. Nothing's coming out. It's too dry. I get her the Wendy's, though. It's very good. But it's not about what's very good, it's about which one is the best, right? It's a war. We drive straight to Burger King. Now, Burger King, which I think is just a solid, you're going to get what you expect. I don't think anything on the menu is going to disappoint you. But when, when Burger King jumped into the chicken business, from a high-level standpoint, right? Don't think, like, if, if a restaurant has a chicken sandwich that it's in the chicken, that's totally separate. Like, take the McChicken, for example. That's been around. That wasn't part of the war. So while you're thinking like those elongated chicken sandwiches or even a chicken whopper from Burger King, no, no, there's a specific champion that they specifically entered into the contest. It's great. It's absolutely delicious. It's an honest piece of chicken, which is the opposite in chicken versus a burger, by the way. The worst part of a burger is the burger, right? You want a thin patty. You ever meet that jerk that goes, oh, yeah, get a good burger, make that thing nice and thick? The burger is the worst part of the burger. You put a nice thin burger on there so then you can build all the deliciousness. But it's opposite with chicken if you have a good, breaded, juicy piece of chicken. Burger King gives you a very honest piece of chicken. But it was also meaningfully different. When my mother is eating the Burger King sandwich, right, she's got the wrapper in front of her when she's picking up and eating it. Good thing she had the wrapper because things are falling onto it, which is a great sign. And that was the only comment she made. She liked the spicy chicken from Wendy's, for sure but it was too dry. So she took a couple of bikes. She wraps it up. She puts it in the bag. She eats the entire one from Burger King because it didn't need anything added to it. We drive straight into Sonic. Sonic has what they call sliders, and that is right out of the gate, small. Small doesn't necessarily pertain to a taste test. This was purely a taste test. This was not a value buy. This was not a value contest. It was a taste test, but I I also know the human element and why my, my mother's grading these things. Even if you're supposed to exclude the size and or the price and purely go off of taste, you're a human being. It came in second. It came in second to the spicy chicken, but again, that just had to do with the dryness. Now, my mother got home and she doctored the Wendy's one up She had a little mayonnaise in the fridge. She sliced some pickles on there. She said it was delicious. It just needed doctors up, which was my experience at Popeye's. Out of nowhere in my local area here, somebody called Dave's Hot Chicken opens up. And I do not know if that's a franchise. If that's a franchise and a chain, it's not out here where I live. There's one. No drive-through. You got to walk in them. It's a little bit different for fast food. It was great. Dave's hot chicken was great. And I'm not huge into spice. They didn't put like the Frank spicy sauce or spray it on there. They actually dusted it and rolled it. They had a little bit of cayenne, not overly too much. But you did feel it. You could feel it in your throat. I would suggest if you eat a Dave's hot chicken, which is delicious, uses Dave's sauce, not mayonnaise. Generally a problem for me, though I do I am very open to special sauces. Generally that's a problem for me. I do want to see some mayonnaise in there. But I put it as number one. I put Dave's as number one, which was a big surprise, because these guys are brand new, I don't know a damn thing about the menu. Just wanted to enter this into the contest. My mother put it at number two. She still has Burger King on top. All right, guys, that's it for today's show. I appreciate each and every one of you listening to the show every week. If you want more on me, I've got a YouTube channel and a new show over on ESPN Plus Go check them out. Enjoy your weekend and enjoy the Olympics. I'll be back on Wednesday. Until then, I'm Shale Sonnen and you are welcome.